really good to be here. And uh, Fliss sends her love. She's uh, visiting one of our children in Nashville at the moment. And uh, sorry to hear about Mark. I mean, they've been, well, so many. How many of you have had COVID so far? Just look, there's quite a few of you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Steph and the kids, they went down with it. Mark managed to stay clear. And now he's succumbed. So I was thinking about that. Yeah, so the family have it. And then Mark has it. You know what I think that is? That's too much kissing under the mistletoe. <laughs> too much kissing, Mark, you know. And welcome all those online. Fliss and I have been watching a lot of it online, maybe a third here and two-thirds at home. So it's, it's great to be here in person. I love it. We, we love it. But when Mark asked me, he rang me on uh, Friday afternoon, I was... My, my, do you know what my first concern was? I'd be really self-disclosing and honest, and that was I hadn't got a clean shirt. <laughs> and uh, I thought, ooh. <laughs> so anyway, a clean shirt was found... But then, of course, uh, it had to be ironed. I don't generally iron stuff, and Fliss doesn't either, to be honest. I got the ironing board out this morning, and the dog came in and started barking at it. Uh, and that's absolutely true. <laughs> I had to send him into his pen. <laughs> um, there's only one other. I remember a time when Fliss uh, went to visit her mum, and I was left in charge of the kids this is when they were all at home. And so that week, we had a fine week. We ate pizza every night. And uh, I wasn't going to do any uh, ironing, so we just worked through the wardrobe, you know, what was there. Uh, it was OK until the Friday, and then the kids went together in two bridesmaid dresses and an elf costume. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded, but uh, Sam was 14 at the time, you know. So, uh, anyway, all good fun. And uh, I'm delighted that I'm going to be able to do this second uh, episode in the series called The Watch, which is our Christmas uh, series this year. And uh, Mark did a great job in, in launching the series, and it's so much easier to pick up the baton if the launch has been good. And he, didn't he do a great job last week? And if, if you missed it, please go online and uh, catch up with that. And he uh, reminded us that, uh, you know, the word Advent comes from the, the Latin, it means adventus, it means coming, and then he went on to encourage us not just to celebrate the coming of a, of a baby in Bethlehem, a saviour, but also that Jesus comes into our hearts. Uh, we have a unique relationship with God through Jesus, and uh, the whole, you know, the language of asking Jesus into our heart is, very, is peculiarly Christian, and I remember as a, as a 13-year-old hearing my uh, uh, history master just sharing that truth at the beginning of a session. I, we weren't a church-going family. And I was, uh, first of all, I was, uh, I was curious. I, I, I was weirded out a bit. But I was also, I thought this was wonderful. And so began my Christian journey and it's gone on from strength to strength. And I must say, I, I, I'm forever grateful and will be forever grateful that uh, Jesus is one who does life with us, Emmanuel, God with us. But then Mark took the opportunity, and rightly so in my opinion, to go on to say, you know, it didn't all happen yesterday. It's not all in the past. It's also a reminder, particularly for Christians a celebration of the fact that Jesus is coming again. 
But this time, he will come in glory. He will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you. A hand went up there. It's like an auction. Yeah, I'll have that, you know. And, uh, you know, isn't that just a wonderful truth that we've not been left alone just to get on with it. We are here to carry forward the mission of Jesus and to enjoy Jesus and to share Jesus and uh, look forward to Jesus coming again. And I I love the way that... uh, Mark, you know, talked about the shepherds. And and let's just reorientate ourselves just by way of introduction, by just looking at that reading, Luke chapter 2 it was. And uh, I think, uh, let's just read uh, 8 to 12. And it says here in Luke's gospel, it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch. They were on watch. They were alert. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I love that declaration. There's more there, of course, but I love that declaration, and I'm sort of zeroing a bit on this this morning. A saviour has been born to us who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, this week, as Mark said would happen, I'm going to be talking a little about King Herod, He was the power uh, in the land at that time. And uh, the truth of the matter is that every good story needs a villain. And uh, in this story, King Herod is the villain. And, you know, he was a nasty piece of work. He really was. He was a vassal king. That means he wasn't there because uh, of, of any sort of divine right or any sort of inherited thing, although his father was the was the, the power before him, he had been appointed by the occupying Roman force to be king of the Jews. That was his title, king of the Jews. And uh, like many people, uh, many leaders, even today, it has to be said, uh, leaders who come to power uh, through violence or through untoward manners, and even some that don't, he was very, very insecure. He was definitely a nasty piece of work. Mark did some research, he passed it on to me. He had 10 wives and he killed some of them because they were a bit too mouthy. He killed some of his children who he deemed were going to be a threat to him. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, if it, if it wasn't the fact, and this is well attested, it, you couldn't make it up, really, could you? But because of that, and like many kind of dictators and despots, you know, he was always on the lookout for uh, anyone who might try to seize power. He was on watch. The shepherds were on watch 
looking over the sheep. Herod was on watch in case somebody, some upstart should come along and usurp his place. So you can imagine that what we're about to uh, read now came as great news for him, great news, news of great joy. So let's look at today's reading, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. And this is the story which will be familiar to many of you, uh, and it's the story of the three kings, or wise men, as they're probably more uh, appropriately called. It says, after Jesus, verse 2, beginning at verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or wise men, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? How do you think Herod felt about that statement, that inquiry? Where is the one whom has been born king of the Jews? That was his title. That was what the Romans had invested him into. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Even better, oh joy. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. That's an interesting statement. Let's just pause on that. All Jerusalem? I suspect what that means really in, it was the sort of, the, the, the wealthy, the influential, the, uh, his right-hand people, the inner circle, they were all those who had invested themselves in King Herod and his kingship. They were very, very concerned. They were all of a Twitter. They were unsettled. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah, that was the name of this, this king to be, he was, you know, he was anticipated, he was expected. There were many prophecies in the old Jewish Testament that were referring to this Messiah, this anointed one, this coming one, who was going to deliver Israel, was coming to save Israel and was going to be their king. He said, where will this Messiah be born? And they replied, in Bethlehem, in Judea. They replied, for this is what is written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler and who will be my shepherd, my people Israel. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. It was a little town, a little village, a few miles outside of Jerusalem. You wouldn't have thought it, but that was what was said. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. You may think yourself small, in other words, but out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the wise men secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go in and worship him. 
everybody hiss like a pantomime. Hiss. <laughs> it's appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> well, we won't read the story. You can carry that on yourself. But they go, they find the babe just as they had been expecting. They worshipped him. And then they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And they made their way back by another route. And when Herod found out, he showed his true colours. As many of you know, he ordered all the male children in Bethlehem and in the surrounding area up to the age of two to be murdered. My gosh. Fortunately for our Messiah, our Saviour, Jesus and his family, his little family, Joseph, his uh, stepfather, shall we call him that, had been warned in a dream to, to get out of the village, flee to, to, to Egypt. And so he was saved. But those little ones were all murdered by Herod because of the threat of a usurper, this king of the Jews, this Messiah, and he wasn't having any of it. It's, it's a dark story. You know, it gets read so many times over the Christmas period that we can become sort of anesthetized to it. But in the midst of these extraordinary events and this great joy, there are dark, dark things happening too. The enemy doesn't take an invasion by the kingdom of God lightly. There's going to be pushback. So really, in all of this, I've been thinking, you know, what, what can we, how can we review this? And I think the question arises in my mind is that, you know, how do I react to the story of a saviour, a baby born in Bethlehem, and what do I do when I hear that this saviour is not just a baby, a cute little baby, but he's going to be Lord of my life? That's a good question. And the scriptures are just a reminder, a saviour has been born to us who is the Messiah, the Lord. That's embedded in the middle of the good news that the shepherds heard. Yes, the saviour was to be born, but he was going to be our Lord. And I think that for me, and Mick Mark picked up on this, that for me is, is really the rub of this, this particular part of the story. You know, we will embrace a saviour, but do we want a Lord? My own story, as I've reflected on it, is that that bit becomes more difficult. That bit is a bit of a challenge. You know, as I've uh, ministered over the years, when it's come to that whole sort of saviour and Lord thing, I've realised that there is, generally speaking, not everyone, but there is generally a bit of a sort of a, 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 a kind of a succession. So, for example, many people's journey, spiritual journey, begins with admitting or agreeing or, or, or finally realising that they do believe in God. I remember it was about, I was thinking about it during the worship, when I wasn't worshipping, uh, that it was about Advent time 
way back in 76 or something like that, that the Lord began to move in me. And I went to a midnight mass at Ripon Cathedral. It was the very first time I darkened a church in 12 years, something like that, since I was a teenager. Not long after my conversion, if, if we can call it that. And the, the story begins with embracing the fact that there is a God. And I'd spent much of my teens uh, actually specifically denying that. I remember a particular moment when Fliss and I were on our honeymoon and we were in Ottawa in, in, in Canada and we went into a gift shop and there was a little jade maple leaf and I bought that in a chain and I hung it round my neck and I said to Fliss, I said, do you know, I've tried God and I don't believe in him but there is a power I don't know what it is, but somehow this jade leaf captures that for me, so I'm going to wear that. Well, I tried that, and that didn't really work. I wore that leaf for a long time. But then as I went to the cathedral for that midnight mass all those years ago, I think there was an element of surrender, of thinking, okay, I believe in God. So what? Said a lot to people. I believe in God. The next step is that uh, I started going to church regularly. Now, that was definitely a step beyond the ordinary. Fliss thought I was having a mental breakdown or something like that. Don't make much of that. She thought much of my life I've been having a mental breakdown. But, uh... And so I, I started going along to the cathedral and sitting in the back three times, twi well, twice a month maybe, every other week, something like that. I wasn't really sure why I was doing it. But I did know that when we took communion, that seemed to be important, that was special. So that, for me, was the next step. Now, many people don't get past the, well, I believe in God, and they certainly don't start going to church. But for me, going to the church and, and actually ending up helping with the youth group was, was, was a, a next step for me. It was, I believe in God, and I go to church. Many people get that far, but no further. The next one is difficult, because the third step for me and for many is an admission that I need a saviour. You see, I, I would have said, look, I, I, I'm a nice bloke, you know, I, I, Faithful to my wife, raising my kids, trying to put food on the table, looking after my family, not running around, pay the bills, blah, blah, blah. I believe in God. I go to church, help with the youth group. What more do you want? But there was this growing sense in me that I needed forgiveness and I resisted that. I, I thought, well, the bad people need forgiveness. And what do you mean, I need forgiveness? There was a resistance, a pushback. I think this is the Herod dynamic beginning to work its way in me. I don't mind embracing a baby at Christmas, lovely. Who lo we all love babies and puppies and kittens and goodness knows what. But please don't inconvenience me. Please don't start messing with my life. 
and I'm one of the good guys. I am one of the good guys. Got it? And it was as if the Lord, in the most winsome of ways, said to me, but what about your sin? And I felt uncomfortable about that. And during that period of, of time, you know, there was a wrestle going on. Finally, as I read a bit more in the Scriptures and I prayed about it, I began to realise that there were some things in my life that, you know, weren't great, and it wasn't enough for me to say, well, I'm better than him, or I'm better than that, or I'm, you know, this, that, and the other. I began to surrender, and I gave up, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I need your forgiveness. That was the third stage. And then the fourth stage was, am I Lord in your life, Chris? And at first, I wasn't really sure what that meant. Am I Lord in your life, Chris? And, and I, I thought, well, it means putting God first. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I, I put God first. Great. But in due course, and I'll say a bit more about this in just a moment, um, I found that God was wanting to mess with my life. There, I've said it. You know, part of the journey was I need a saviour. I need the comforter. I need a father. You know, my, my teens were a bit, trauma, a bit difficult, traumatic even. I need a father. I need his love. I need all of that. But actually, as part of the family, I get signed up to the family business. The family business. And so as things happened... I began to realize that there was a journey here. And at every point, there was resistance. What part of the journey, if you can identify with that, are you on? Where are you on that journey? It's the angels. See? <laughs> the angels think that this is a good sermon. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I remember when I was 13, getting down on my knees beside my bed and asking Jesus to come into my heart. Well, that was weird. But he did. And it was wonderful. And there was, for me, a most distinct honeymoon period. And it was wonderful. It was something that for years after, in all those years when I was wearing a maple leaf around my neck, I secretly still longed for. But it was no longer there. So which part of the journey are you on? Are you embracing a newfound belief in God? It's authentic. I'm not dissing it. Are you embracing and celebrating your first Christmas as part of a community, this community? I commend you. I bless you. It is wonderful, and for me, it's been absolutely essential to be part of a Christian church. When I'm not going to church, and that's why COVID has been so difficult, I, I, I struggle with it. I join in online, and that's really good, and bless you guys. But we, Fliss and I, 
struggle with not being here on a Sunday and, and being with God's family in this place and caught up with his plans and purposes. I struggle with that. So God bless you and welcome indeed if you've just started coming. But if part of that journey is, is that when we come into worship, you're embarrassed because all you seem to want to do is weep, as many do, all that is really happening is that Jesus is melting your heart with his love and his reality. And as that happens, it's as if the Holy Spirit prizes our little fingers from things we've held dear that have actually not had real and authentic life in them. And then finally, as we begin to serve and maybe this year has been an important year for you because you've, in spite of all the difficulties, you've, you've found yourself serving, maybe on a Sunday. I love that, you know, that, that uh, thank you service we did a couple of weeks ago, hearing about the guys in their various ministries, the way they had, you know, the, the, the attitude was just wonderful. Whatever needs to happen, I will do it, you know. It, it was so heartwarming, and many of you have been doing that for years, and many of you have come into that, and, so, and, and, and some of you have come into that this year, that aspect of being inconvenienced for the sake of the king. That's when lordship really begins to bite, not when you've got a bit of spare time so you don't mind helping. That's good. That's good. It really is. But when it begins to mess with your life, with your schedule, your routine, that's when Jesus is becoming Lord. And it's a wonderful thing. Now, from the outside looking in, you know, sometimes I've spoken to friends and neighbours where in the villages I live now, and, you know, they, they, their eyes glaze over. They just don't get it. Some of them ask questions, but, but others... They just think, so you, 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 you go to church every Sunday and you, you help, help out. And you used to have a business, but now you, you, then you become, became a vicar. They always, I always say I'm a vicar because uh, they understand that. But it, it, from the outside, it looks strange. And even to some of you listening online or listening in this building, the idea of Believing God or pressing into God so much that he begins to mess with your schedules that you start to be inconvenienced. Well, the first thing is say, well, I've got no time anyway. And he's welcome to mess them, but I, I, what, where, where have I got any time, you know? There's all sorts of little voices that come up. You can't do this. It'd be lovely to do that, but all this kind of stuff comes up. That's the battle. That's the Herod battle. It's, it's not far off that. That's the resistance to the lordship of Christ. That's the resistance. That's the pushback. That's the pushback. But the truth of the matter is, I found that as I surrendered, as I submitted, as I took stock and gave my life to Jesus, Although I found myself often doing things I found deeply and profoundly challenging, 
I also found in it a great lightness and a great joy. Now, I was only thinking this week, in this last week, the last year of being senior pastor here, and I can't tell you the details, was probably the most difficult year of my life in terms of ministry. We had one deep and profound crisis after another. It was profoundly challenging. And yet I slept at night. I came into work. I was always pleased to see my staff. I loved coming to church. It was just that we had some problems and we had to work them. You see, when you surrender to Jesus, when you give over to him your, your sin and your stuff and your ambition and all this stuff, it's not that you suddenly stop doing those things. It's just that there's a recalibration. There's something very special. And sometimes you'll get called to do menial tasks and sometimes you'll get called to do wonderful, exciting things. Who knows, books and television crews might end up following you around. But other times it's just being willing to be small change in God's pocket, to be spent as and when he wills. There's a lovely little verse in Scripture. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 11, verses uh, 28 to 30. Very simple and will be well known to many of you. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The It's full of oxymorons, you know, contradictions. I think I spoke on the power of paradox back in August or something like that, but it, it, it's interesting. Jesus talks about putting on a yoke, and you know what that is? It's a sort of a thing that an oxen wears so it can better pull a plow. You know, that's a... That's a pretty vivid picture of service. And he talks about burdens, but he says they're light. And I have to say to you that even though when, in our particular case, God started messing with our lives and there was you know, much, to, much that was challenging as we pursued that call of God, I have to say... There was a lightness. It's hard work being your own Lord. You end up being like little Herods. The chatter at the school gate makes you wriggle because you wonder whether they're talking about you. Throw away comments. Go round and round your head. Competition for promotions, concerns about the kids at school and a maybe not so flattering report that comes back from a teacher. These sort of things really, really get to you and weigh heavily. Now, Christians have those same things. But if you are Lord, you bear it all. The buck stops with you. Deal with it. But if Jesus is in your heart and if he is your Lord, it becomes his problem. 
and there is a place to go. I'm going to give you, a, just by way of a little lightning up here, I'm going to give you a, a somewhat silly example of, in my life, when a burden was lifted. But it, it makes a good point. When I was about 13, for, shortly after my dad died, uh, I went to France, very first time I went abroad, with the Scouts. Now, some of you will know this story, but the, the Scouts that we were with, they were a great bunch of lads, but when we got to Saint-Malo, oh boy, they were, no, they, got, they were naughty. They went into all the gift shops, and they were shoplifting left, right, and centre. And they ended up with great bunches of key rings on their belts, which they had pinched, and all sorts of other stuff. Well, it got to the point, so many people were doing it, and, and, and I didn't want to do it. I really didn't. But, I, it, you know, they were saying, haven't you got anything, Chris? Have you got any, any? Or they'd come and say, have you got anything good? Do you want to do a swap? And I said, well, I haven't got anything. Well, and, it, you know, peer pressure and all the rest of it became really awkward. So, yeah, hands up. I'm a thief and a vagabond. I went into Dinar, where we were visiting at that time, and I went into this gift shop. You're not going to send me hate mail now, are you? <laughs> Come on, put those phones away. And I went into this gift shop, and I, I, I saw a couple of key rings. I didn't want them, but they looked easy, and nobody, I didn't think anybody was looking, so those went in my pocket. And then I went round the other side, and... And I saw this that sort of penance, you know, the little flag things, you know, welcome to Dinar. And so one went in the other pocket and then I slipped out of, out of uh, the shop all wide-eyed, feeling, am I going to have a hand put on my shoulder any moment? I went into town and I was on my own. I wasn't with a bunch of lads. And I, the moment I stepped out of that shop, it came upon me. It came upon me. This deep sense of shame and guilt. I tell you, it came upon me. And I walked around the town in a daze for about an hour, just feeling terrible. I couldn't bear it, this burden of guilt and shame. 13-year-old Boy Scout. And so I decided... I would go back into the shop and put them back. Seemed like a simple idea. I went back into the shop. The uh, sort of, I, I, I must have looked guiltier than when I went in the first time because I seemed to attract the attention of a couple of attendants who I noticed were sort of looking at me like this, you know. Went around, slipped the, slipped the, um, you know, the key rings on the rack again and then uh, went round to where the pennant was. And as I was turning, just about to do this, I saw the owner of the shop peeping round the end of the uh, sort of the, the rack thing at me. And I thought, oh, my gosh. So I stood there for a moment, paralysed, and I thought, well, there's nothing else for it. And so I took it out of my pocket and I went and then slipped out of the shop. As I went out, I could see that the owner of the shop was going... <laughs> I was a reverse shoplifter. <laughs> I, I, I came in and stocked the shelves, you know. 
It might catch on this Christmas in Oxford Street. There might be gangs of young men going down there saying, come on, let's go down to Oxford Street and stock the shelves. (laughs) My point in telling you that silly story is that I was surprised, I was shocked at the burden of guilt and shame. And as I've gone through life and ministry and I've spent time talking to people as, you know, in a privileged place at a past that does, I am shocked by the amount of guilt and shame people carry. And there's no going back into the gift shop and putting it back. It's done, it's broken, it is what it is. They feel guilt and shame. And for many of them, that's why they don't come to church because they have this idea that you have to be perfect to come to church. So when Jesus says, come to me all those who are heavy and burdened and I will give you rest, that begins to make some sense because they've been staggering along, dragging this burden. John Bunyan, a famous uh, author, he said, that when he came to the cross, his burden fell away. And although our life might be full of challenges and difficulties following Jesus, we don't carry those burdens, thank God. If you're still carrying some sin, some guilt, some shame, confess it to Jesus Ask his forgiveness. He may have some words of encouragement or comfort. He may not. But the truth is, when you do that, your burden will fall away. Your burden will fall away. And you take a significant step into making Jesus your Lord. Beginning to bring this thing into land, as as Mark is fond of saying. So... Three little things I'd invite you to do. Perhaps if you get a moment's quiet over this holiday period, and I pray for all of us, there will be some some walk you might be able to do or some little bit of quietness when you can reflect upon the past year and maybe consider what you'd like from the next one. First of all, take stock and be honest. Don't go through the list of successes although that's not a bad thing, especially if you thank God for them. But take an honest look at yourself and an honest reflection of of where your life is now and what you might do better next year. Take stock. Having perhaps, and if you want help, ask the Holy Spirit to help. He will help you. After that, surrender. Surrender. You can fight it. You can fight this this whisper of God. It's not a shout. It's not a bellow that makes you jump out of your skin. It's a whisper from God. When you begin to identify something that actually is, you know, you're not proud of, then surrender. Say, God, I give up. I'm sorry. I'm so ashamed. I, I, I don't know what I can do about it, but if there's anything I can do, but Lord God, please forgive me. 
I'm so sorry. And then after that, the third little thing, take stock, surrender, then submit. And that's when you say, just like Jesus did, our Lord, our Savior, that's when you say, not my will, but yours be done. That's a great prayer. That's when you offer up your life as a living sacrifice to make Jesus Lord. And joy comes. Joy comes. It's a relief not to be your own little Herod. Joy comes. So as I wrap up, Let's celebrate the birth of a baby. It's right that we do so. Especially when we consider that this baby has come from heaven, is God himself, is God among us, is Emmanuel. But don't leave him in the, 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 the manger. Don't force him to stay there, this saviour. Know that he has come to be Lord and Lord of all. Another of the readings from Christmas, and with this perhaps the band would like to come up, uh, Isaiah chapter 9 will be read in many, many schools and churches over this Christmas period. It's a wonderful piece. And it says this, the people walking in darkness and those of us who have walked in sin know that that is darkness. It's not fun. It's not easy We are pursued as if by the hounds of hell. God forbid we get used to it. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A saviour has come, a baby in Bethlehem. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Hallelujah. The Christmas message. But listen, folks, he comes with an agenda. For to us this son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And may we wish you the gift of the Prince of Peace this Christmas. Please stand. Let me just pray. I know, not because I know in the natural, but I know in the spirit that there will be some here who have found this message because it is the Word of God compelling and uncomfortable. I want to pray now, especially for you. It's just part of the journey. Happens to all of us. So Father, I want to say thank you for sending us Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you humbled yourself, even becoming a baby. And I thank you, Jesus, that as a man, You taught us, shared your life with us, 
wept with us, laughed with us. And then as God himself, you died on that cross, bearing our sin. You, you substituted yourself for us, that our death might become your death, our darkness, your darkness, that we might then know your life and your light. So, Lord, we embrace you today, seeking your face and seeking your forgiveness as our Saviour and as our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.